0: I hope you guys clap for me when I'm done. Just kidding, I don't want your praise, it's fine. We're here for God. Maris, uh, one of our seniors, she'll be graduating from Fletcher High School here soon, in a couple of months. I first met Maris uh, at Beaches Soccer. I was her coach, even though I had never played soccer, knew nothing about soccer. Little did I know that she would become like a daughter to me, she'd become one of my daughter's best friends. Her parents would start out as friends and become more like family at this point. And we're talking about about serving here, Anchor Values Day at at church. And something I wanted to say about Maris since I've known her. Talking about setting example and and leadership today. And Maris uh, functions in the highest form of leadership. She's one of the most encouraging people to me personally. Every time I speak, every time I do anything at Students, anytime I host, Maris is one of the first people to come up to me with a smile and tell me how good I did. And it means a lot, Maris. Keep doing that, you're wise beyond your years. It's been fun watching you grow up. You're not dead, you're gonna go live more, but man, it does make me feel a little emotional because they were all like little, you know, and they were like these, Isaiah and John and everybody, they were were just an A, they're just these little soccer kids and now they're all turning into adults. It's weird, life goes fast. Um, But anyway, way to go, Maris. We, if you weren't with us last week, we were on the beach. Who who tried to come here? And you're like, there's no church service. Anybody do that? Derek and I met some people afterwards that were rolling up like, where's church? It's over. We just had it on the beach at seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, but we had some good conversations with some people. Tiffany and Eric were were pulling up with their kids all in their golf cart and we're like, church isn't here. And their one little, so we already had it. Their daughter was hitting her head against the seat in the golf cart like, oh, she wanted to come into kids so bad. Like, oh, how, what are they doing to us? The church isn't happening. Uh, but it was fun talking to them afterwards because Derek had actually talked about one of our values here is as we are family and just talking to them and and hearing a little bit about their story in the parking lot and why they kept coming you know they had been in some other places and churches and why they just kept on coming back to OCC because they really felt like it felt like a family and the way that people served here uh, it was like they were serving one another and they liked that and I, we appreciated when they talked about that, which brings us to today. We're, we're gonna to be talking about setting the tone, one of our, our values here. And if you've, missed, if you've missed all of this, these anchor values, they're, they're, they're our culture. They're their, their serving postures within our culture here at OCC. Uh, uh, that what we want to kind of lead from and why we want to do it. An example would be two things that I've loved about, if you don't know, I am associate pastor here, but I'm also a fireman. I worked for Jacksonville, 17 years. And two things I've really loved about being a fireman. Number one is the culture. It's like they ha- we have this warrior culture, and I love it. I grew up playing high school football, and it was like the same kind of thing. We get in there, and it's just—it's all about. We train. It's all about fighting fire. It's like suppressing fear. Uh, you're t- always talking about the—the the first time you ever burn your ears real good in a fire. Your dirty burn-up helmet. It's like—it's this constant thing where they're all the young guys, the rookies, we're pushing them towards suppress the fear we go in we fight the fire we save and it's awesome because without it if we didn't have that and i've never worked for another fire department so i don't know if that's always like this without it fear will take over and men and women will just stand outside in bunker gear and watch the house burn and it will communicate that there is no hope that no one is coming and no one's going to do anything right but we are here to serve and try to save it's awesome stuff and number two is like derek was teaching last week it's the family aspect. To me, it's like kind of a microsm of life. Like we have a firehouse. We have showers there and beds, we live there, we have brothers and sisters. It's cool, all the emails you gets from the chiefs and the, the union presidents, it always starts with brothers and sisters, we're a family. We, we eat dinner every night together and we call it family time. We eat and then we sit there and just make fun of each other. Uh, you fight, you fight, you know, like you, some people you like, some people you don't like in your family, it's very similar. Uh, but I love that, that whole, uh, sort <laughs> of that's good. Uh, <laughs> Very simple. So that's the culture of it, right? So for us here in our culture at OCC, uh, we are a family, but we also want to set the tone. We want to lead by example. We want to imitate Jesus and be like Maris and encourage people. It's the highest form of leadership. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to read this one. This is Set the Tone. It's brilliant, brilliantly written. I love it. There's a few things that uh, I'm going to point out as points, but also things that kind of stirred my, my heart to speak today on what we're gonna be talking about. So let's read it along with me. This is Set the Tone. When we gather together, we set the tone with our engagement, our attitude, and our positivity. Wherever we are, we want to be contributors. The way we come into spaces, whether church, homes, or conversations, matters because we carry the light. Remember that, we carry the light of Jesus. And we want to lift the atmosphere everywhere we go. We believe it's not hype and emotionalism when we display our joy in Christ. We desire to be a church that is real and transparent about our brokenness, but also know that Jesus is alive from the dead and there is nothing, nothing more real than that. We rise above feelings. And remember this, we choose joy, we choose joy. And that one stuck with me when I read that because there's so many other things we can choose, right? We can choose despair. We can choose to stay in that place where we can choose joy. And we lead from a source greater than ourselves rather than follow our own hearts. Why? Because our own hearts are deceit, deceitful above all things Scripture teaches. We allow the truth of who he is, Jesus, to be the one to lead our hearts. Brilliantly written in my opinion. We are catalysts that raise the tone, shift the move, the mood, and call people around us to the great hope of Jesus Christ. Christ, awesome. So uh, if you've been around OCC, you know that I cry a lot and I'm the emotional guy and I, just, it's, I, I get called the hype guy and I hate that because I'm so much more than just a hype guy and a crybaby, all right? I'm a fireman, remember? <laughs> just kidding. If this is really how I am, ask her. She's been married to me for 22 years. I just, I get ramped up and thank God she's just a balanced human and she just reels me back in. She's like, come on back. Come over here, David. I'm like, oh, okay. oh thank you. I'm um, being a little... Dramatic, but it's it a lot like our marriage. Thank you, Sarah. I love you so much. Um, but I love this whole thing because Scripture is weaved all through this. This. This set the tone value. And there's a couple of things I want to point out. It's carry the light, choose joy, and let Him lead our hearts rather than managing it. Ourselves, It's all over the Bible. These are concepts, and it brought me right back to Matthew chapter five. Some of the mo- It is the most famous things that Jesus ever said. It's called the Beatitudes. Matthew five, six, and seven is the most famous sermon Jesus ever, ever gave. A lot of scholars believe this wasn't the only time he had talked about this message. He got up on this mountain, and he started speaking, the- and if you look, look in Luke six, that one's kind of, kind of by scholars called the Sermon on the Plains because he says some of the same things, the blessed are this, the blessed are that, but then he also has these woes. So they, they believe this was Jesus's, uh, the way he was describing what the Christian looks like. When they follow him, this is the things that start to happen. Ben Stewart, he's a famous preacher in Washington, D.C., he calls it like the Christian manifesto. Like this is, the, this is, the, the, this is what it looks like, this is who we are, it's the banner that we walk in when we say we're followers of Jesus. You know, tone setting, we carry the light, we're the light of the world, we don't put our light under a bowl, or salt, all those things. And I would say this, this is just a side note, everybody that calls themselves a Christian in this room, I encourage you, we should spend as much time as we can reading Matthew five, six, and seven. We should read it over and over and over again. Luke six, read it over and over and try to get it into my mind, get it into my soul. It, If you don't know, it gives some of the most practical tips from Jesus himself on how to deal life, and it's also extremely challenging. He tackles lust, sexuality. I mean, it's hard to say from the stage. He says, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. How about that one? He deals with anxiety, worry, anger, specifically step-by-step things you can do from Jesus, the king himself, on how to traverse the difficulties of our human experience. We need to read it and I'll be honest with you, I wrote that down, and I have not studied this like I'm telling you to do it. I'm saying it to myself. I'm like, why not? If if these are things that Jesus taught us, if it is like a manifesto, why am I not pushing into that? And if you're new to the faith, I would say start there. I always say start with the book of John, but Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is great too. Go there. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Make it a part of your life, and it is beautifully written, right? Like they, they, they believe Jesus spoke it this way on purpose. He was a rabbi, Hebrew teacher, and it was written in the style of the Psalms and the Proverbs. So his hearers, would have kind of, it, would have, it would have made them feel, feel a certain type of way, and it was a, a specific title. But the Beatitudes, the blessed are this, the blessed are that, to me, they explain tone setting in the context that I'm speaking. I'm bringing at you, explains tone setting is light shining. We're shining the light, like Maris. We're encouraging, where tone setting is, is shining. It's, it's tone setting, light shining is a form of leadership where we lead by example, or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So simple, so cool. And dude, this, I mean, I get excited. I know, I already told you that stuff, guys. There it is. Um, But I mean, it's absolutely brilliant writing by Jesus, okay? Like, it is, it goes, it talks specifically about me and my human condition. My heart, my soul, my spirit is the first thing that he says, right? Like, blessed are the poor in spirit. He goes right to the inside. It's supposed to be meant for me and who I am, but it's also flipped. It's also, when you come to Jesus like this, it begins to shine and affect those around you. They, I mean, scholars, man, they have some cool way of looking at stuff. They call this progressive sanctification as one way of looking at the Beatitudes. And you could spend 100 years reading this stuff and still God would begin to speak to you. But you come, so look at it, you come to God, you're like, all right, I come to him, I'm poor, I, I'm, I'm surrendering to him. And what happens when a human goes near Jesus? They begin to mourn, what? Their sin. They begin to reckon that I have sinned against a holy God. And then they begin to mourn the sins of the world. And as, as they do that, they begin to hunger and thirst for things that they used to not, they used to, used to care about all these things in the world. And now they're hungering. They're pursuing righteousness. And then what happens? As you move in the faith, you begin to, you begin to what? You begin to shine. And what happens? Tension from the world comes, right? Because the light in the darkness, they don't mix, do they? The darkness wants to suppress the light of Jesus. Very neat stuff. But it's also for me, but also prophetic for me, right? Like, yeah, I, I'm gonna come to Jesus poor in spirit, he, and this is gonna happen to me now, but he's also creating a heavenly home for me. There's a reward for me. There is a heaven for me, and he's talking about it. It's the kingdom of heaven, Brilliant by Jesus. It's so cool. It starts in me. It's born out of me. And as a follower that shines light, you guys are Christians, or I think most of you are. We're supposed to preach the gospel, shine the light, be a city on the hill, be salty and all that. Well, salt doesn't preserve anything unless it gets in contact with it, right? That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. We've got to be in contact with the world. Like, Separating ourselves from the world and just and, and living in, in, in huts by ourselves, so Jesus comes back as an, an option. Scripture's making it clear: we have to be in contact with the world. We've got to shine brightly. We got to we got to love one another like Jesus teaches. Uh, light shine. When the, without light, things die. Right? Without salt, things begin to decay. I'm saying all these cool preacher stuff. I feel good, right? But here's the problem. There's a big problem. If Jesus is using this in my interpretation as a way of describing light shining or tone setting or imitate me uh, as Paul says, there's a very big problem that I have with this and I think you probably do too. It sounds exactly opposite of what we try to do every day of our lives. I mean completely opposite. Rich, poor. Nobody wants to be poor, strong, meek or weak. Happy mourn. liked, dislike. Is our world not just full of I mean, like me, like me, like me it's, seems, It doesn't seem very shiny or appealing to the thing to live the way Jesus is talking, right? It's, why? Nobody wants to be poor? Who wants to be poor? I don't. We were at this concert in, uh, at the St. Augustine Amphitheater. I saw a bunch of you guys there too. We went to go see this band called Head and the Heart. Me and Sarah love concerts. One, because we can afford it, and it's like, oh, you know, we can't fly out to California, but we can go to St. Augustine, you know? Um, <laughs> Uh, we just we go to them all the time. And this one was great. I mean, we were loving it. It's like, yeah. But the band, he, the guy there, uh, the lead singer, he was singing this line. It was like, the one thing you can't buy is more time. Live until you die. It was like, yeah, live till you die. You know, like, that's like, we feel that, like, yeah, I got to live until I die. All the way, 100%. I'm going to squeeze every bit of happiness and joy for myself in this life because that's living, right? That the world's like, that is living. Live until you die. Awesome, awesome head and heart. It's like, you got it here, and you got it right here, my man. It's going right in here, down into the heart. Silly, stupid. Uh, Thank you for laughing. You guys are very kind. But Christians, we say the same thing, too. How about live your best life now, right? Be the best version of yourself. But we all know, if you've lived any type of life at all, it doesn't work, does it? Like, eventually, you're still looking for more. It doesn't fulfill. It doesn't sustain. It just kind of leaves you trying to keep doing that. You just keep squeezing and trying to live and hold on to this pursuit of, of uh, happiness that you think you, is gonna make you feel fulfilled and it just keeps us leaving, looking for more. And even if, I mean, I don't know any celebrities, but I watch a lot of them on TV. And we were watching this documentary on Taylor Swift, me, Sarah, and the girls. I was pretending like I wasn't into it. I'm like, ah, oh, firemen, we don't like Taylor Swift. I was super into it. Uh, <laughs> One, it's just I love music. We, we really enjoy it. I like that it she, they, gives you an inside look on how they write the lyrics and their journey. And she was very passionate. And I like passionate people. Like she cared a lot. I just thought she was a pop singer, but she was very interesting. Uh, but she has all the money that she's ever going to need times 100, right? She looks pretty. She's wrote 100 songs. She probably has 40 million uh, social media likers or whatever you call them. And... <laughs> She's got it all. Like she's reached the pinnacle. Everything. I don't have social media, if you could tell. There's many of them. Taylor's at the top, and she said this thing in the documentary that just just went right in there. She said this: "I wish I didn't feel like there was a better version of myself out there, but I feel that way all the time." And God, she's right. Even if you had it all, don't we not kind of, Does that, do you relate to, to that at all? Is it, it's always like, I'm doing okay, but there's gotta be. I'm, there's probably more I should be doing or I should be doing this or I should be a better husband or I should be a better friend or I should be a better, better parent, like a better version of me. Like today's not my best version of me when things are going hard with my children or, or my coworkers at work, but maybe if I just find that better me. Crazy, huh? and maybe to me i think that's what jesus one of the things he was trying to get at that's why the beatitudes are incredible because they're the meaning of them with just the simplest amount of words he can cut through anything i mean the spirit of god can go in every part of every human and just reveal things that you just you know are there but you just you sense them they're just they haven't come to the surface yet it wasn't about the money being poor in spirit but nobody wants to be poor. We'll get into that more. I'll get excited about that again. Yeah. Nobody wants to be poor and nobody wants to be weak or meek. Blessed are the meek. I'm like, pfft, firemen. That's the worst thing that I could be is be weak, right? Like no, no one wants to be like, I'm just so weak. Uh, I'm weak. No, it, it, it's like you wanna be strong. You wanna t- take what's yours, right? Get mine. Take care of myself. I'm the strong person. Don't we say that? Like strong strength. We, we, we elevate strength in our culture. We don't elevate people that we consider to be weak or meek. We, we don't, we look down to that, but Jesus is not. And why? He tells us with the the simple verbiage that he used. He says, the meek will what? Inherit, inheritance. What does inheritance mean? It means that you get what you're getting, not because you took it by force, but because of who you are. He's saying, stop trying to take things. Come, I'm your father. My sons and my daughters, they're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. What I have is greater than any pursuit you could ever find in this world. You can be as rich as Taylor Swift and have everything you want, and it will still not be enough. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is coming from the Spirit of God. My sons and daughters don't have to fight and strive and try to hold on to everything. When they come to me and they, their hands are open, I give them everything. My cross proves it. I gave everything to show you, you, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. Jesus is the coolest, man. Let go of the false treasures. He said in Matthew 6, do not store up treasures on earth. That What happens to these treasures? They, 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 they decay for the moth and the life decays it. You can't take it. Can we take anything with us when we die? No, he's saying that, but store up treasures in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's what the letting go of that. I gotta be the strongest. I just let it go. Seek first and I'll add, I'll fill the hands. Let me fill your hands. Stop holding things in this life that so tightly, let go, come to me. Nobody wants to be poor, nobody wants to be weak, and nobody wants to mourn, I can tell you that. But every single person in this room, every one of you in some facet or way have been traumatized, been hurt, have grieved, and have mourned. All of you. Every single one of you. You know what I love about this verse? It's, it's Jesus' way to me saying, look, mourn. You're allowed to feel it. It's okay. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be the strong one all the time. You're allowed to mourn. It's feel it. Feel it. You're human. I made you. I know it. Feel it. I was, you know, studying for this, and I was reading this commentary. I can't remember uh, who wrote it, but he was talking about how humans have to travel through grief. There's no way around it. Every human will do it. There's no path that you can take that gets you from feeling that pain, that trauma, that grief. We all have to walk through it. And maybe that's kind of what drives a lot of our behavior. Think about it. It's not just, hey, I want to be rich and happy. It's like, I'm just trying every way I can to find a way to avoid feeling trauma, to avoid feeling pain so I don't have to mourn and I don't have to grieve. But nobody does. Jesus himself didn't. He was known as a man of sorrows who bore much grief. He cried over Lazarus. He cried over Jerusalem. He felt it all. He was a man of grief. We've all got to go through it. Nobody wants to mourn, but it looks like the human path also includes mourning. And how about just being hungry and thirsty after righteousness? Because this is so good by Jesus. It's like, what if... You know, like we all feel that, like hunger, thirst, and you're just constantly refilling it, right? And if it's not sustaining, you go, you go and do it again. What if that, he's speaking to my heart in the same way where he's like, you know, this hunger, this unsettledness that you feel, this sound in your heart that you feel is not because you're not achieving your dreams and having the perfect life. It's not that. What if it's you've just been chasing and seeking and hungering after the wrong thing? What if you were to start dreaming in Jesus and start believing in Jesus and following Jesus and he was the one that did the feel, that filling, that thing. Every one of us has that thing. Derek has an awesome, many times in different ser- sermons talked about that, that deep uh, unsettledness in the soul. And here Jesus is talking about that same thing, trying to speak to us. And he says, what I have, what I can give you well, you will never thirst again. He says it to the woman at the well. He's in Samaria. This is uh, John 4. And she's getting water out of the well and he's talking to her and he tells a bunch of stuff to her by the crazy. She can't believe it. And she must be God or something like a God. I can't believe you would know those things about that me personally. No one knows it. And he says, hey, whoever drinks the water you're pulling out of this well is gonna come back and come back and come back and always be be thirsty. But the water I give, they'll never thirst again. And she says, sir, give me this water. And he's trying to say, don't you understand? I'm the one thing that can quench that deep longing in the soul. I am the water of life. If you drink in me, if you come to me, if you surrender to me, if you love me, I will give you that water. He is the bread of life, hunger and thirst after him. After me, seek me, dream in me, seek after me. Open your hands and come to me and I will fill you. This is what he is after. And here's the question, if Jesus is about filling me and he wants those things for me, if, if Jesus isn't the one doing it, then who's doing the filling in my life? Because I'm gonna fill it with something. When I'm hungry or thirsty, I'm, I'm gonna get it. Without Jesus, it'll just continue to be thirsty. Who's giving the inheritance, right? Like I'm still gonna get something from somebody in this world, but without, without Jesus, we'll just be like the rich young ruler. Have you ever heard, he was in uh, Luke 18. He comes to Jesus, very wealthy guy, and he asks Jesus, Who, how, how must, what do I do to in, in, inherit eternal life? And my view, reading the book, I feel like he had a good heart and he was a good man and he wanted to know the truth and he wanted Jesus to tell him the truth on how to get heaven, so cool and so jesus says well you know what to do follow all the the commandments and he said i've done this jesus i've done it but that longing in here is still there that deep deep unsettledness is still there i've tried to walk the road right and i still feel it how do i quench that and jesus said well go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then come follow me and the scripture says that he left very sad because he was of great wealth but they miss it we miss it when we read it it wasn't about the money did you hear the rest of what Jesus said? It was about come and follow me, but it says that he didn't do it. He had too much money, but it wasn't the money. It was too, one more reason, just too many reasons not to surrender, not to trust. And we all have those reasons, don't we? I do, I don't wanna talk about them up here, I'm not gonna, so personal, I'm t- dealing with God with that, okay? But we have a bunch of reasons. Right, like we make reasons why we don't make him, we don't give him all of our lives. Like I love Jesus, but this part of my life is mine and I'm not gonna surrender to him. I'm gonna make excuses and, and come up with reasons why you can't have it. But man, we're gonna run out of reasons. We're gonna run out of reasons why we can't surrender to Jesus as Lord. We love, we love Jesus dying on the cross, but it is a whole nother thing when you have to call him Lord. Lord means he's in charge of it all. He gets it all. He's the Lord of your life. He dictates what you do now. Not you, but what do we do? We love Him. We want to be forgiven. But this part of my life, Jesus, you can't have. You cannot be Lord here. I'm going to manage this because I'm not sure that you can. I'm scared to give it to you. Another documentary, Post Malone. This one I actually was into. Uh, we were watching that also in Post Malone. I, I love his music. It's like, what do you call it? It's like rap or pop. But it's just, the reason I like it, it has this very emotional vibe to it. And I am an emotional human being. you can't tell. And uh, it was just so cool. He's got t- face tattoos that had hurt a lot. Um, and he, in one of his songs, we were watching it. <laughs> and he said, this was very pro- profound. He said, I keep on running out of reasons to let go. I keep on running out of reasons to let go. And I think he's right. We're all running out of re- reasons to let go. And Jesus is saying to us, if you wanna shine bright, if you wanna live like I do, if you wanna know me, come to me, let go, surrender. Who's doing the comforting? Right, we, blessed are those who mourn for you'll be comforted. If Jesus isn't the one doing it, who's doing it? We're gonna find ways to comfort ourselves, aren't we? Every one of you can think of something that you do and not all of them are bad, but some of them turn unhealthy where we try to we try to cover up that 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 feeling. We try to suppress it and comfort ourselves in some way. It can only be Jesus that can really do this for us. He, if you want to be blessed, Jesus said, and we all want to be blessed. Isn't that beautiful how he started that, starts it? Blessed? Yeah, me. I'll take the blessing. And then he it just goes right into the soul. He's like, You got to surrender to me. You got to give me it all if you want to be blessed blessed like I'm talking about. Give me your love. Give me your life. Give me your burdens, your cares. Give me your grief. Give me your trauma. Bring it all to me. Bring it all to the cross. I am faithful. I will take care of you. I'll never let you down, which is a very hard thing to sing sometimes because it's like, well, really? Because I feel let down sometimes, God, and I'm not sure that that's true. How can I know that you're trustworthy, Jesus? And he's saying, surrender, surrender to me. The Beatitudes, in my view, is just a surrendered view of the gospel. It's a surrendered life to God's grace. We are coming to him and we are surrendering to him. It's a trust thing. It's a trust thing. A surrendered life is what he's calling us to come to the cross, to give him everything. Surrender to me, trusted me. And why would we surrender? Because we trust him. Trust me, he says. Like poor in spirit, like, trust me, I'm pretty sure if you would just trust me, you would realize all these things you're trying to do to make sure yourself happy, all the searching, the collecting, the money, whatever is not gonna fill that thing that's been in there that's been suppressing your heart. You're that deep thing, it's the letting go. He's like, surrender. It's not about the money, because he says, what? Poor in spirit. You can be very wealthy, very, very wealthy, and be poor in spirit and, and do what Jesus is saying here. And I would encourage all of you to go get very rich and then give some of the money back to God at OCC Church. <laughs> that's such that's a stupid joke. Thank God you guys laughed because I could have fallen you know, down, man. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, poor in spirit, it's the letting go. It's the surrender and saying, I trust you, Jesus. And I'm gonna be honest with you. This is really hard for me. I'm afraid. I don't do this with all, every part of my life. I think, you know, I'm up here preacher guy. I look like I am, but I'm not. The risk is large. Can, he, can Jesus really be trusted with all of me, all the parts of me? Is he, is he really there for me? And to be honest with you, I've figured this out working on this. I can't, and hear this, I can't handle my own heart. I can't. And I've tried, I mean, for my own childhood trauma, my own pain, I have tried to manage it because I don't want it to get hurt anymore. And the things I've seen, terrible things I've seen as a fireman, I've, like, I've tried to see if I could handle it and keep, it, keep myself safe and keep myself from feeling any more pain. And I can't, I can't handle my own heart. maybe that's what jesus is saying to me and saying to us look i know you keep i've been watching you struggle i'm watching you realize how hard it is to manage your own heart you can't do it i'm the only one that can do it come to me and let me do it what if that's what he's trying to communicate but the risk comes down to believing that maybe he's not good and he will fail me he will not come through and so i start to believe those things and so what do i do i just continue to manage my life from those very painful parts jesus I'll do the church stuff, I'll follow you, but these things are so painful, I don't know I can let them go, because I don't know if you can do it for me. Is that your story? You're seeing me doing my emotional thing, but are are there parts of your heart that you have not let Jesus in, because you're afraid? Here, this this is something I really wanna say, hear this part. What if this is the sin that derails My purpose and my connection, and knocks me off my journey, that narrow path with Jesus, is to say in my own heart, I can manage these things. I can manage my own heart without God. What if that's the root of my hardships? Is I've, in my heart, I've told God, I'm going to manage this. And maybe that's my issue, huh? Maybe that's your issue. Trust me. Nobody wants to mourn. Those who mourn, I, will, I know this hurts. Jesus was a man of sorrow. He's, like Derek was praying, he's, he's never left our side. Trust me, you don't have to be the strong one anymore. Let, let me strengthen you when you're weak, that's a scripture. Trust me when the world is always leaving you thirsty and hungry. Let me fill you, let me give you what you really are after. How about this one? Trust me when you've been wronged. There's just about everybody in this room, you've been wronged. Somebody has caused you trauma, has caused you pain, And they don't deserve your mercy, they don't. And you don't wanna give it to them, but he's saying, be merciful, but Jesus, they've hurt me deeply. And it borderlines hate, and he's saying, look, hate and vengeance, it's not good. What it will do is turn you bitter and angry, and it'll make you lonely. Be merciful and let vengeance be mine. Jesus knows our hearts, he's the only one that can handle it, but why do we not let him in? Why do you not let him in? Ask yourself this morning. Trust me, all your attempts to clean that dirty heart of yours, that sin off of you, you can't do it. I'm the only one that takes sin away. Jesus is like, I'm the only one that can make you pure. God, we want to see, right? We want to see our path. We want to see our purpose. If there is a God, we'd love to see him. And the only way to see him is to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Because that is what he does. Trust me, this one's awesome. Stop trying to make everyone happy and keep peace. Be a peace Maker, right? There's a big difference between keeping peace and I would say making peace, right? Keeping peace is like, well, I just don't upset anybody. We we'll just, you know, we don't need tension or a conflict. Let's just keep the peace, right? That's not what this is saying. He's saying making peace. What is making? It's creating, creating peace and giving it away or like in the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, choosing joy, creating joy, creating peace, and give it away. This is what tone setters do. That's just like I was saying about merits. We give it away, we give away our peace, peacemakers. If there was any real peacemakers in this sense in our day and age, I think they could walk on water like Jesus did because look at all the division when we can't even keep peace, not even close. So we need somebody to make peace. We need people to start creating it and giving it away and pointing people to Jesus and encouraging them to forgive and to have mercy and let go of vengeance, right? This is Jesus, man. This is what he said so long ago. It's cool stuff, the peace thing, but how do I do that? Like, how do I make it? Well, I don't know. How about start with hugging somebody? That's why I love hugging, because it doesn't seem very spiritual, and I don't know what else to do. But really, think about it. You, you don't have to make it weird, but side hug it. And what does it do? It makes you feel good, right? If somebody hugs you, even if you don't know them, there's a, a wall goes down. You know? like you, there's a physical response and a kind of a, a soul level of spiritual response. Hug somebody. Just don't make it weird. How about smile at somebody? Could you make peace with a smile? I've been married to Sarah for 22 years. We've been together since we're 17. Everywhere I go with her, we've been walking through Target, people just smiling at us. I don't even know them. And I'm like, what are they smiling at? I know I'm very handsome, but geez. <laughs> Keep it in, you know? But it's not because I'm handsome. It's because she's smiling at them. She smiles. This is how she's always, if you've ever been around her, if you're friends with her, you know her, just your first interaction with her, she starts this way with this smile and it just, all your guard goes down and just your heart opens up. And that's why she has so many good friends and they want to listen to her because she's, she smiles and she's, she's kind, right? But this is what I'm saying. It doesn't all have to be super spiritual. What if that's what we're supposed to be doing is hugging and smiling and encouraging and giving people peace? Could you give some people some that need your peace if you have any? Love hugging. Trust me, I don't need you to defend me. All I need is for you to love me, right? Jesus like, look, you're gonna be persecuted. I I don't need you to defend me. I need you to just love me. I'm after your adoration. I'm after your, your, your whole self, your heart. I want it. Tone setting, man, light shining, choosing joy, letting God be the Lord of our hearts and not manage it ourselves. This is what tone setting is all about. Scripture teaches it. We carry the light, we choose joy, we make God Lord. We let him manage our lives. And for context today, if you've been in this church and you're an anchor and you serve here, this is kind of, it's not, those are, these are things that Jesus teaches about how we live as Christians in the world. But also for us, this is what anchors do. We, we are tone setters. We, we lead by example. We carry the light and we get in it. Like we get all the way in it. And even when it's not always good or perfect, we stay in it and we encourage and we love and we make and create peace and joy for each other because we're brothers and sisters. We're family, right, There said we were family. A quick fireman story. So like I said, the firehouse is like a family. You can be having, going, doing some terrible stuff, man. Just seeing some bad stuff, going on a lot of bad things, almost dying. And if you have tone setters, they don't even have to necessarily be awesome at being a, the firefighters, but they're just tone setters, good attitudes, willing to do anything. It can be so much fun. Truly, I've loved it. There's, it's awesome. But if you get one complainer on your crew, one Debbie Downer, he can just ruin the whole entire thing. I mean, it'll get to the point where like, they they don't even want him to to eat at the table with them. You're out of the club, we don't wanna hear your mouth. Just ruin the whole thing. Like stop, like it's just a constant barrage and it just makes the whole household bad you know? But we had this rookie. He was my most fam- favorite uh, firefighter I ever worked with. He went to a new station a few years ago. But his name was Austin. And he, dude, from the first day he walked in there, he was just a tone setter man. I mean, he'd be dancing while he was doing the dishes. Uh, we'd just throw water at buckets at him, and he'd be like, ah, like he loved everything about it. Willing to train, uh, super excited about everything, laugh, love telling stories. He'd climb on the table and tell stories. Just, he was so much fun. Like, he just, and he was pr- great at the calls. I remember this, this lady uh, had a uh, heart attack. And she drove her car into a retention pond. They're dug out. So there's no slope. It's like a 12 feet deep. And we show up and we're diving in there. And Nick's like, Dave, go get some rope. And they're swimming down. So I'm running back up the truck, to get some rope. And by the time I get back down there, I see they had freed her from the car. And Austin pops up and he's got her. And he's got a smile on his face. And this lady's drowning and he's like smiling. I'm like, what is going on? His first, one of his first fires, you know, it's a very scary thing. You know, trust me, very scary. And uh, I used to, you never seen Finding Nemo? Finding Nemo. Remember the turtle, the, Austin was like the turtle. He's like, righteous, like just excited. And I would tease him and call him that. We're going into the fire. I'm like, dude, you got your gear on, right? Yeah, yeah, put your flaps down. All right, let's go. We start going in there and we find the fire. And as he's opening the hose, he's just yelling, righteous. Like so fun, like setting the tone. It's like the worst things are happening. People are drowning. The whole place is on fire. And he's like staying in it, remembering that we are here to serve and save. That's what we do, we're firefighters. We're here to serve and try to save. And I would say the house of God, that's our purpose too. We are here as a family to serve one another and try to save as many as we come can to come into the house, to be a part of Jesus. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. I felt my forehead like, I didn't breathe. I should've took a breath in between one of those. Because I was like, oh man, I'm gonna, what's happening? Poof. That'd be a good ending to a sermon, huh? All right, stop. Tone setting means remind yourself who Jesus is to you. It's a reminder, right? Austin was always reminding. He'd say things like, I love this job. I love this job. I'm so grateful to have this job. Remind who we are, okay? So how do we do this? How am I supposed to do these things, be a tone setter, carry the light, be a sermon on the Mount Christian? I would say in the simplest form, two things. Write these down. Number one, trust. And number two, practicing remembrance. Remembrance trust and practicing remembrance, and I would say this, if Jesus wants us to surrender to him and he wants us to trust trust him, how are we supposed to trust somebody we don't know? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Are you in this room, I'm asking you, do you know him? Do you trust him? Do you have a relationship with him? Is he in your life, not just part of it, but is he in? Is he in there, all the way in there with you? Do you know Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? You can't really trust somebody that you don't know. I used to have a landscaping company, me and my best friend started in high school, and uh, we did yards and then we started doing new construction, planting trees and bushes and sod, right? mulch and this was our first big one was $190,000. Sounds great, this is a very bad time in my life. I got hit by a tractor and my ankles broke, another long story. Uh, his mom got sick and he left and we're doing this, this job and it's just not going very well and we've got everything set up and you know I'm hobbling around in one of those boots, I hate those boots. I've had many and I, I burned them every time. Um, God, please don't let me get another boot. Um, So anyway, so the uh, the sod time, $25,000 in sod coming. So I'm nervous. I'm like, oh, I hope this goes up. This dude shows up in a semi, and he's got this sod, and he looks like a guy that lays sod. He's got like a straw hat. He has got literally has a piece of straw in his mouth, like wheat. He gets out, and his two workers get out with him. They're not wearing any shoes. And I'm like, this is a commercial job. I Wear your guys' shoes. And they're like, you know, and they just start get off and they start putting the sod down and they're rolling out the sod and it is brown. It's not, it's not just brown, it's dead. He's putting dead grass and I'm like, stop! You know, stop! <laughs> I run over there because my ankle. <laughs> and he's like looking at me like, oh man, I'm like, what are you doing? Stop, stop, I can't pay you for this. He's like, well this is gonna take four days. I'm like, no it's not, you're gonna just pick it right back up and go get some live grass. He's like, it's not dead. I'm like, yeah it is. He's like, look, man, this is Bahia sod. Just a little, t- little tiny bit of water on this thing, it'll all turn green, trust me. And I said, no, I don't trust you. That's just $20, $25,000, you have to pick it up. He's like, this is who I am, and this is what I do. My reputation is staked on this. I promise you, trust me. And I was like, oh my God hobbled back to the truck. I'm like, oh no. I was scared to call Dave. I'm like, this is terrible. And so two days in, there's just huge property just rolling out this dead looking Bahia. And I'm like, if there is a God in heaven, help me. And dude, I had, we had a Florida Quickie. You know what those are? Those thunderstorms that come in and it's like for 30 seconds and then it moves on. Florida Quickie came by. I mean, as soon as that water hit that brown dead looking sod, I mean, the sun hit it, and all of it started to turn green, and by the end of the week, it looked perfect. <laughs> but here's my point. I didn't trust him because I didn't know him, right? And maybe that's the problem. We don't know Jesus, and it's why we don't come to him. We don't surrender to him because when we do, we hold on to all these things. Now, track with me. Imagine yourself holding on to these things, and you come to Jesus, and he says, let it go, and you let it go, and it looks dead, It looks brown, and you're like, this is why I wasn't letting you have it. I'm gonna pick it back up and manage it myself because when I let it go, it just dies. It's just brown, Jesus. And he's like, no, I'm the gardener. Trust me, let it go. And you're like, no, I can't. He's like, let it go. Don't you know I'm the gardener and I'm the one, I'm the only one that can make dead things come to life. Trust me. Huh, what, just let it go. And he's like, come to me, let it go. The mourning, the grief. I'm like, Jesus, no one can handle this for me, not even you, and I, I'm not gonna let it go. It hurts too much, and he's like, look, don't you know me? Do you trust me? I can take the worst thing that's ever happened to you that morning and that grief, and I can turn it into dancing. Mourning into dancing, that's what I do. I'm the only one that could take a broken, black, sin-filled heart, and I can, I can make it see God. can make your heart see the Father. That's who I am, and that's what I do. Do you know Jesus today? If you don't, when we have time, come up here and meet him. He is faithful, and I can say from the bottom of my heart, there are many things that I struggle with, but Jesus won't let me down. He walks with me when I'm hurting. He encourages me when I'm weak. Let him do that for you today. Trust and practicing remembrance. What is a tone setter? What's a light carrier? We're going to end with this Philippians 4. This is some of the best stuff that you'll ever read. It's brilliant. You ready? This is what practicing remembrance looks like. It says this, finally, brothers and sisters, you see that family, finally, my brothers and sisters and my family, my, my family of God, my Ocean City Church family, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Remember, gosh, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Jesus is true. He's noble, he's right, he's pure, he's lovely. There's no one like Jesus. Remember what you have in him and think of those things, practice them. Whatever you have learned, look at verse 9. Whatever you have received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. This is practicing remembrance. Remembering who Jesus is and what he does. And how he wants us to be light bearers to the world so that they can find him too. He seeks and saves the lost and for some reason he uses us to be light.